0: I'm now better educated than my current wife, but I'm not looking to divorce her simply to marry someone with a PhD. That's good. Just in case she's listening.
1: This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark is sponsored by HSBC, winner of Trade Finance America's 2016 Company Award for Best Supply Chain Finance Bank in North America. HSBC, where ambition connects with opportunity. Hello and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It's Thursday, April 7th. I'm Aki Ito, Bloomberg News, joining from my hometown of Tokyo. Also joining from D.C. is Tori Stilwell. Hey, Tori. Hey, Aki. Hi, what's new? Well,
2: the cherry blossoms are blowing in the breeze and it's pretty nice outside, so not too much to complain about over here.
1: Oh, nice. By the time our listeners hear the show, though, the cherry blossoms will be gone.
2: Well, that got real depressing real quick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think um, back during the Edo period and I think like the 1800s or something, there was this big philosophy in Japan that what's beautiful is fleeting. So they went around and replanted a lot of the cherry blossom trees here to make sure that the trees on the ground were the kind of trees that bloom really quickly and then disappear really quickly, too. So, you know. What's
2: beautiful is fleeting. That's good to know. I like that. I'm going to (laughs) maybe make a
1: mixtape called that or something.
2: (laughs) So Aki, we have quite the topic today, right?
1: We do, we do. We are talking about love and economics, which is like the perfect melding of my two favorite topics. I've been an economics journalist for seven years now, so I can't help but think of everything through the lens of the economy, even for something as, (laughs) you know, romantic and, and wonderful and mysterious as like love and love and dating and marriage. But love isn't always rational, is it, Aki? No, it is not. But we try to make it, I guess. (laughs) Well, you know, today we're talking about this phenomenon called assortative mating. Um, And it's when two people who are pretty similar to each other get married. So uh, that can be referring to any kind of traits. It could be race and ethnicity. It can be income level. Today, we're going to be mostly talking about education level.
2: Aki, it sounds like you went down sort of a a rabbit hole when you were researching this topic, and I think it'd be fun to discuss a little bit of the broad findings in the research, and then we can move on to a discussion.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, Let's introduce our special guest with you in the DC studio first, though. Uh, Richard Reeves is a Senior Fellow of Economic Studies and also co-director of the Center on Children and Families at Brookings. Richard, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Great to be here, Aki. Thanks for hugging me. Hi, Tori.
1: So I guess before we jump into the show, I think we should talk about our own partners since we're talking about a topic like assortative mating. So Tori, you met your boyfriend Tucker in college, right?
2: Tucker and I have been dating for two and a half years now. We met in college, uh, actually as freshmen, almost seven, eight years ago, which seems like a really long time ago, and it is. <laughs> um, but we did actually we actually did not start dating in college. We sort of rekindled our friendship slash love here in DC uh, when I moved here in twenty thirteen.
1: And Richard, what about you? Are you married? Uh,
0: yes, I am. I feel like I've been lured onto a show under false pretenses <laughs> I, I, I've got lots of statistics about marriage patterns. I wasn't re- ready to talk about my own marital history, but, uh, but I'm happy to share it. I actually did marry someone who I met at college as well, my college sweetheart. Um, But that marriage ended in divorce, so um, sorry to pass that bad news on, Tori. But the good (laughs) news is that uh, I I then met my second wife, um, who is American, and she's kind of one of the main reasons that I'm now here uh, with this funny accent. Uh, And she and I met through work, so I guess you could say that the first uh, marriage was assortative mating through education, and the Uh second one was assortative mating through occupation. But oh, clearly clearly, kind of selecting or, if you like, this is kind of pre-online dating, um, still finding ways to end up with people with pretty similar education levels. The same in my, the case of my first marriage and similar in the case of my second marriage. Although I subsequently cheated because although we were both college graduates when we met, I've subsequently got a PhD. So I'm now better educated than my current wife, but I'm not looking to divorce her simply to marry someone with a Ph.D.? That's good. (laughs) Just in case she's listening.
1: Um, Good to know.
0: I accept it.
1: Right. (laughs) Aki, what about you and Emily? Yeah, so my girlfriend Emily and I both have bachelor degrees, but Emily's about to start law school in September, so she's about to out-educate me too. But for now, I guess we uh, fit into the, the box of assortative mating.
2: So the research is pretty clear on how we're marrying more people who share the same educational background as us. So one study found that people are marrying someone with a similar level of education at the highest rates since the Gilded Age. That's, that's kind of a crazy statistic.
1: So people were marrying, you know, amongst their own education levels at the turn of the 20th century and then throughout the first half of the 1900s. That rate was going down a lot, so people were kind of mixing a lot more. And ever since, right around World War II, it's been steadily coming back up.
2: And it seems like that's happening in tandem with growing income inequality. So, Richard, sort of what's the blame here? What's going on?
0: I think we have to understand what's driving the increase in assortative mating. So uh, it's quite right to say that since the 60s, the proportion of people marrying at the same education level uh, has increased. So now most people marry someone of um, the same education level, just over half, 55%, whereas it was down in the 40s um, before but that's against the backdrop of a massive increase in female education levels. Yeah. Right, So one of the reasons why male college graduates are now marrying female college graduates um, as opposed to the people who would have married in the- a is because there are a lot more female college graduates. There's a trend as underly- underlying it. And so it's actually quite hard to know whether or not there was a sort of mating going on before on some other level, right, interest, IQ, whatever. Uh, But that's now showing itself through education because women uh, are obviously much more educated than they were before. So this is simply a bit, to use economic terms, there's just a bigger supply of female college graduates, which is meeting the demand of both men and women to marry someone at the same education level.
1: And then that, as you say,
0: say, then is having uh, an inadvertent byproduct of increasing income inequality. Because the other trend is that we see increasing wages for college graduates relative to everybody else. So the returns to college education have gone up. Now you've got more women who are college graduates. They are marrying male college graduates. So that's two college graduates per household. And, and each of them are earning more than they were 40 years ago. So you add one trend on top of the other. And what that means is that quite a significant amount of the increase in income inequality up to, say, a seventh of it, crudely speaking, according to one of my colleagues, can be explained by assortative mating and by the rise in assortative mating. I think it's important to say it's not a new phenomenon. It's just increasing. And that is a factor in growing income inequality.
1: Right. You know, I was reading, I think, a study in sociology um, that also found that men were increasingly preferring women who had the same education level as them. So like when you kind of think about maybe like the 1960s and uh, a male lawyer might have married uh, his female secretary who was who maybe never went to college. But now more and more, those lawyers, I think they're marrying other female lawyers or maybe like a. a prominent client or something like that um richard how long have you been married to your current wife
0: it's just a trick a trick question that you're deliberately trying to trip me into getting this wrong uh (laughs) so that you can then send this podcast to my wife uh we've been married for 15 years
1: 15 years and tori you've been with tucker for two and a half years right that's right yeah. So you guys probably don't know the world of online dating too much, but a year ago I was single, so I was using all kinds of different apps, and you know what kind of struck me was there are all these services that let you explicitly filter people out according to like um, their education level or their income bracket or even like their race. So you could be like, oh, you like, can I don't filter wanna... by race. Mm. Yeah, it's that's become really... really
0: controversial in the online. Yeah.
1: I had yeah, no I know, idea. It's, it's pretty terrible and and even back when I was single I was thinking like gosh this is really problematic like this is really you know if the use of online dating grows we might see even more assortative mating if if people mm. kind of tend to you know filter out according to these pretty superficial demographic characteristics. Um Richard, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, it's, I think that what's happening is that algorithms are being added to the assortative mating process. So, you know, through these online dating platforms, you can, you, as you say, just filter out. So I think that there was a, there's a strong trend anyway to be meeting and marrying people of the same education level. But online dating just kind of takes that to a new level, which is that you you reduce the chance of even by accident <laughs> meeting somebody who isn't at the same education level. You literally just take them off. You're not even in the market for that at all. So you know, at least if in terms of um, non-online dating, you might go to a party. You might get talking to someone and only partway through the conversation discover that they never finished their college degree or whatever. Um, but by then you might already be interested in them. But if you've already filtered that out, then you're only going to meet people who you've pre-selected on the base of their education level. So other things being equal, it seems almost certain that online dating will increase what is already quite a quickly rising level of assortative mating of with all the benefits, um, but all the challenges that that brings.
1: Right. There was, I think there was one study that looked at the logs of an unnamed online dating company. And that study found that people definitely gravitate to other people, um, you know, who have similar characteristics. And that was on education level, income level, definitely race and ethnicity, and even some really random things like height.
0: We're, 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 there's lots of ugly phrases in this. We've had a of mating and algorithms, but perhaps the ugliest of all is marital homogamy. and homogamy (laughs) in the sociology literature and that's just a a very sociological way of saying people marry people who are like themselves and that does reach beyond education into all kinds of other things so it could include religion for example it could include the extent of your faith it can include race it can include all kinds of things Uh, and that's a that that's a trend that's as old as human history. What's interesting, though, is that some of that is break is actually going in the other direction. So for example, you are seeing increased marriage across racial lines in the US, that's actually been ticking up. Um, And it's quite pronounced for Asian Americans, for example, uh, quite likely to marry non Asian Americans. Um, But across all races now, there's been an increase in marrying across race lines. And so actually, we're getting to the point now where it's more common to marry someone of a different race or ethnicity than to marry someone of a different social class. Oh, wow. So, wow. so the trends are going the other way, which is quite interesting. Yeah. So you're sort of seeing more class segregation or a- education segregation in terms of marriage alongside less racial Uh, segregation by marriage, which isn't to say that we're anything like past racial segregation. But so the filters that we just talked about are actually, it turns out that certainly in terms of people's behavior and who they actually end up marrying, that education and class are playing, if anything, a slightly stronger role now than race, depending on the races that you're talking about.
1: Wow. I want to take a short break here to hear from our sponsor, and then we'll come right back. This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark is sponsored by HSBC. With over 8,000 global relationship managers on the ground in over 60 countries, HSBC makes your global ambition their local business. HSBC. So, Richard, in a previous life, you were in government before you moved to the U.S. A couple of years ago, you were the director of strategy to the deputy prime minister in the U.K. And I understand your former boss made increasing social mobility a big part of his platform, right?
0: Uh, He certainly did, yes.
1: And so you spent a lot of time thinking about social mobility and and even since then you've written a lot about that, um, you know, making sure that we have the kind of economy where poor kids could rise the income ladder and eventually become, you know, comfortable or even rich. And and so I'm wondering, like, does this trend of assortative mating, does it concern you?
0: Uh, Yes, it does. For, for two reasons, really. One is that it does it does add to increased income inequality, which is obviously not the same thing as mobility, but can be associated with lack of mobility. So you do see that it adds to the widening economic divide. So mm-hmm. um, there's that, and that other things equal, economic resources do matter for people's life chances. So just purely economically, assorted mating has has an impact. But I think I think it actually goes slightly more deep than that because we not only see that college graduates are more likely to marry college graduates, but their marriages also tend to be more stable. They tend to be more likely to last. Uh, The children tend to be born within the marriage and so on. So actually what's happening in the US is that college graduates uh, look quite traditional in their approaches to marriage and to divorce and to child rearing within marriage, contrary to what you might have thought would happen maybe in the 70s. But at at the other end of the education spectrum, or even towards the middle, you're seeing more divorce, um, more children being born outside of marriage and then maybe subsequently leading to a marriage but less stable marriages as well and instability and parenting are huge factors for life chances for children so it's almost as if the the research suggests quite strongly that stability matters for kids life chances marriage is one way to provide that stability especially in america quite different to europe in that sense and so it's almost as if upper middle class or college educated americans they got the memo that it's good to get married first, then have your kids, make sure you're economically secure and try and make the marriage last and raise your kids together if you can. And in fact, I think that's that's the role that marriage plays for a lot of Americans now. You don't need to get married to be dating or in a relationship or to have, and you don't, don't need it very often economically. So it's mostly about kids now. Um, and so what that means is the kids who are fortunate enough to be born to college educated um, parents not only have more money and more educated parents but also the family itself is more likely to be stable and so what we're seeing is one advantage piled on top of the other and at the other end and at one disadvantage piled on top of the other all that means in terms of intergenerational mobility is that the chances of your status being inherited to some extent of ending up in the same place roughly on the ladder as your parents if anything that's getting worse. And so assortative of mating is one of those really interesting and difficult problems. It's much harder than K-12 education or affordable college or because because this is about intimate life choices. Right. How, do you,
2: how do you go about fixing exactly. it? Exactly.
0: What does that do have – I mean, you can imagine the public policy that says, okay, we're just going to randomly choose your marriage partner for you. Right. So you can <laughs> have a state and <laughs> They're arra- an, 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 Yeah, you can have an arranged <laughs> marriage policy but deliberately m- – you know says, no, no, you're a college graduate, so you're not allowed to marry a college graduate. Clearly, we're in the realm of uh, dystopian fantasies. Um, but I do think we might want to think a little bit about segregation more generally, segregation occupationally, segregation geographically, segregation educationally, and now maritally, and the extent to which there are these sort of almost different lives being led by people of different backgrounds, which reduces the chances of meeting someone and marrying across those lines. So it may become quite self-perpetuating. And so to that extent, I don't think any of us, particularly those of us who have married assortatively, to use that ugly word again, uh, should throw any (laughs) stones. I think as policymakers or as analysts of the economy and what's happening, I do think it's something that we have to take quite seriously in terms of understanding lack of mobility.
1: We've spent so much time hearing about uh, fixes to income inequality in terms of tax policy and education policy and um, all kinds of other income redistribution schemes. But, you know, I think the question here is, are our own classist, snobby, maybe even elitist preferences to blame? And I think the answer is partially yes.
0: Well, I think it's a quite. that's when it gets very difficult because... They are, they are our preferences. And so the question then becomes as to whether or not we should be judging ourselves or other people for having those preferences. And, <laughs> and, I, think, I, and I also think let's, let's, let's look at this from a positive aspect. Um, we've looked at it from a negative one too, which is, look, if one of the reasons why this is also happening and why men and women want to marry someone of the same education level is because gender roles have changed too. So that's the other Uh. factor here. So you mentioned earlier lawyers might have married their secretary or a doctor might have married. That's the stereotype. And now lawyers are marrying lawyers. And in fact, my brother's a doctor. Guess what? He's married to a doctor. Right. Um, right. So whereas when my mum was a nurse, she would date doctors. My dad's not a doctor but because she was a nurse. Now... The fact that women are now doctors and lawyers and that men would prefer to be with someone who's a doctor or a lawyer is a sign of huge progress in terms of gender equality. So so what you're seeing is gender equality, good, tick, long way to go, but but one of the byproducts of that with assorted mating is increased household income inequality and possibly less intergenerational mobility. And so as with all of these things, there's always a trade-off. There's always costs and benefits to these different trends. And, and and our job really is to try and sort through all those trends and see what the implications of them are. And not to say I think it's illegitimate really for policymakers to start casting judgment on who we should or shouldn't marry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be relevant to say this is one of the reasons why income inequality is so high. And that might put a different cast on arguments for more redistribution, for example.
2: So it doesn't sound like... You know, Bernie Sanders' next proposal should be, let's assign all the spouses by lottery. Let's make it way more equal that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Fun, though, that would be to hear him say it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Richard, what do you think about, you know, widening economic inequality itself, changing our own mating patterns, kind of the the direction of causality in the other way?
0: Hmm. That's very interesting. So we, we have focused so far on the impact of assortative of mating on income inequality. And actually, one of the, the studies that you may have seen that I've certainly read shows that the Gini coefficient, which is a very wonky measure of income inequality, would be seven points lower in the US uh, were it not for assortative of mating. So if people right. did, if people did marry randomly using the lottery, Tori's lottery idea, I'm calling it your idea, <laughs> uh, so not my, idea, my <laughs> Sanders idea. So let's say we did do it randomly, then the Gini coefficient would be 0. 0.34 rather than 0. 0.43. But in, in layman's terms, what that means is that the US would be about as equal as France or Italy. Wow. So imagine you're a utopia or a dystopia where actually people are randomly marrying, then it, that is that's the kind of effect it would have on income inequality. But at the same time, Widening income inequality may add to a sort of mating, as you just implied, because we see, for example, there's a widening gap in your chances of going to and completing four-year college based on your parents' income, household income, a widening gap. So you're seeing that it's relatively more likely for children from affluent backgrounds to go to four-year colleges and stay at them compared to kids from poor backgrounds. That gap's widening over time. So guess what? Tori met her boyfriend at college. But it turns out that you're more likely to meet someone at college who is themselves from an affluent background and that's one of the reasons they're at college. Then you go and live in a certain neighborhood and guess what, your neighbors are all kind of like you. And then you go and work in a certain kind of institution like the Brookings Institution or Bloomberg where guess what, you're surrounded by other people. And so actually what's happening is that some of the results of income inequality in terms of occupational, geographical and educational segregation and inequality might actually add to a sort of mating. Because candidly, you may not actually be meeting that many people (laughs) who aren't of your education level um, in order to uh, date them in the first place.
2: You know, speaking of France and Italy, I'm actually headed off there for the next couple of weeks. What does it look like in other parts of the world? Is this, a, is this an issue and a trend in other places?
0: Uh, it is. I can only actually speak to the UK. I don't, I don't know the data elsewhere. But certainly within the UK, um, it's quite a significant factor. Um, so you see the same educational and assorted mating patterns in the UK. And in fact, by some estimates, the the single biggest reason for a recorded decline in social mobility, so for social mobility getting worse in the UK, is the increase in women's educational outcomes. Again, come back to this trade-off. So that was a really difficult finding for us in government and for those grappling with it, is that the more the more educated women were getting in the UK, the worse social mobility got. Why? For the reasons we've just identified, because like the educated hearing. women marry the educated men. They have high levels of human capital, which they then turn into high levels of financial capital because of the returns to earnings, which means they can live in good neighbourhoods or afford private schools, which means their kids do better. And so actually, it's again one of these things where you saw in the UK you know, a really interesting impact on intergenerational mobility, which is beyond the reach of policy. And indeed, good news. It's good news that more women are going to college. But that good news did carry with it implications for mobility and inequality, which we should just be honest about.
1: Amazing. That's quite the dilemma. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really a fascinating conversation.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been fun. <laughs>
1: And thanks to you all for listening to Bloomberg
2: Benchmark. We'll be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. While you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us.
1: And let us know what you thought of the show. We just love getting your feedback, and we really want to hear more. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at uh, Richard Reeves, uh, Richard V. Reeves for our guest Tori Stillwell and Akiito7. See you next week. This episode of Bloomberg Benchmark was sponsored by HSBC. With HSBC, you have up to the minute visibility and control of your global cash positions, so your business can move at the speed of opportunity. HSBC.